Welcome to Deep Look, UltiWorld's weekly radio show about the current state of Ultimate. I'm the host and the editor, Charlie Eisenhood. Joining me is UltiWorld senior editor, Keith Rayner. And for the first time since 1990, we have co-champions in the college division from the same university. University of North Carolina takes down the gold in both the men's and women's division in D1. Congratulations as well to Oklahoma Christian in the D3 men's division and Middlebury in the D3 women's division for taking down those titles in this mega college championships event. Keith, it was an exciting weekend. We have so much to talk about. We're not even going to get it all in today, but uh, you know, it's been 30 years since we've seen one school sweep in D1. Amazing. I, I'm not surprised. I mean, we both picked this to happen. Uh, but I, for one, welcome our, our North Carolina overlords. Uh, so please please pick me for a high position in our new North Carolina-based society. Uh, and, and nobody blame me because I, I, I voted for Kodos. So uh, don't blame me for this. Uh, all, all jokes jokes aside, uh, it was a pretty dominant performance. I mean, there were really no doubts about which two teams were the best teams uh, in their respective Division One groupings. Uh, but it's been cool to see not only North Carolina celebrate and the online kind of celebration, but like they're getting interaction. You know, the school is tweeting about it. I think the governor tweeted about it. Uh, so that's, that's, I mean, they should be like trying to get into some celebrities that are exciting and North, I don't know who in North Carolina, they need PD Pablo, you know, everybody, I know that's a big attachment for North Carolina is PD Pablo. So, uh, it, it's, it's an impressive, if not surprising performance that clearly comes from a long the long end of the tail you know it's it, we talked about in the men's side the triple the triple peak on uh, the women's side you know they they have the PUL East championship and then followed up with this after a great season for Phoenix so not quite peaking like not as close as you can get to the, like you get really close to the peak I don't know uh, still an impressive three seasons for them as well so it's a it's all North Carolina right now and I think they are soon to be rooted against. I mean, they're they're going to be the villains. Yeah, I, it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, the thing is, it's funny because, you know, Ring was a villainous team 10 years ago. <laughs> For different reasons but, but than like that they won all the titles. Team. Like they, they, they were they were bad guys in many cases. And, uh, you know, that 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 is not really true anymore. But now they're so good, they're going to become villains in the way that that winning can create. Uh, but I think they still enjoy the, you know, everyone's excited to see them at the top. The question is, you know, if we get two or three years of this, Keith, people are going <laughs> to get tired of it as they always do. I don't think you're going to have to wait. I mean, I think, I think this spring people are going to be rooting against them. Uh, it's, it's funny because on the one hand, and this is to some degree true with Seattle too. And I'm sure there's a lot of other stuff in, in there, but you know, Seattle, I think had been the village previously, uh, they'll be happy to have the heat taken off them. Uh, but, you know, these are places that did it the way that we all say you should do it, right? By investing in your youth programs and, you know, having people really buy in, uh, being coaches as elite players, you know, making time to uh, connect with the rest of your community, having a bigger picture view. And there's probably a lot of leaders who people don't know about who have been doing that work, a lot of volunteers, uh, that have, have been doing that in both communities, but 
Certainly, it has paid dividends for North Carolina, and you know you get attract you, you make an attractive community for people to move and participate in. In so, you know, sure, the men's team has Ryan Osgar, and you know the youngsters are both from out of the area. Uh, so, you know, there are plenty of good players that have come from other places to play in North Carolina, but a lot of the talent's homegrown, and it's attractive to be there because the community is strong. So. Speaking of the Yunks, they'll be joining us a little bit later for an interview. We'll talk with both Anders and Ella here after they won their titles this past weekend in Norco. Um, and, you know, just some quick notes. Uh, Pleiades beating Washington 15-6 in an absolutely overwhelmingly lopsided final. Uh, they did not play a game closer than an eight-point margin in the bracket. Wow. They beat UCSD 15-7, UCSB 15-7, and then Washington 15-6. Not quite as dominant for Darkside, but still extremely impressive. They win by at least four in each of their bracket games. 15-10 in a surprise quarterfinal against Colorado. Uh, then 15-11 over Brown and 15-11 over Georgia. Their O-line uh, rarely getting broken almost never getting broken multiple points in a row and their defense, despite sometimes having uh, a little bit of issues punching the disc into the end zone, just overwhelming teams, uh, you know, getting blocks and then, you know, putting breaks on the board. So uh, really just a, a dominant, dominant weekend overall. The closest game for either team was Pleiades' 15-12 win over Georgia, a game that uh, in which they'd already won the pool. So and it just wasn't really that competitive. I mean, I, I think these teams were more dominant even than I expected, Keith, even though we both picked both of them to win. I, I agree with that. Uh, you know, both of these teams, we felt like had a really strong challenger that they were going to have to go through. Uh, you know, North Carolina gets their chance to do that and thoroughly dismantles a Colorado team that felt like it was a, a little bit below where we had anticipated. Uh, and so, you know, they don't really even meet any other team. They, they, they dominate Brown, uh, who is, you know, kind of a second tier challenger, I think for them and the women's side, we, I gotta say, I'm still feeling a little bit robbed. We didn't get the Carlton clash and, you know, the Carltons didn't play without some of their best players. Carlton did play without some of their best players. So we'll, we'll never know, Charlie. We'll never, we spent two and a half years debating about Pleiades versus Syzygy, and we'll never get the answer. It's like a, a like a watching two or three movies of a trilogy, and then in the end, you, you, it just ends without conclusive look, ending. Look, I'm going to give you the facts right now, okay? Yes, the Earhart sisters did not play for Carlton this weekend. They were dealing with a family emergency. It's terribly unfortunate. I think Karen Earhart is probably their best player. Uh, they would have been a better team. They probably, in my mind, they make the final if the Earharts are there. However, there's no way they beat that UNC team. No chance. I think 15-10, maybe. Maybe. I, uh, I, you're, I, you're... I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying, but it would not have been competitive. Like, Carlton lost to Washington, Keith, who then lost 15-6 to UNC. And yes, I know they were missing a couple players, but two players, not going to make the difference. I, I don't know, man. That, that Washington team was missing a couple players by the time that game was, was totally out of hand. And, and, you know, if you take... Bridget Meisner, like let's say she's the Karen Earhart analog here, away from UNC, I, that's worth a lot of goals. I mean, that, that is 
the ostensibly the best player on Carlton. And somebody somebody came up to me and said they think before the tournament, they said they think Karen Hart's the best player in college. So like I don't know. I, I we'll we'll never know, we'll never is, know is my point. Not necessarily I, that I can't that it's definitive. That. Okay. We 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 can't for sure know. And that sucks. And here's what really sucks. If Carlton had made the final, the Earhart sisters were going to come and play in the final. It stinks. They had a chance. You know what? They certainly had their chances. They did. I, they they did. definitely had a chance to get out of that Absolutely semifinal. Absolutely could have won that game. 100%. Definitely gave it away. Shout out to Abby Hecko for just going absolutely beast mode this whole weekend. It's the star of the tournament. Yeah, easy. Um, really impressive stuff. Look, we you know we can't even get to every story today. I, I mean, let's you know, let's talk a little bit about Georgia, the team that made it to the final. Now, it's so funny because here we are before the tournament. I went to Southeast Regionals, and I watched Georgia just dismantle everybody at that tournament. They just destroy Tulane, and then Tulane, you know, they beat Florida in the in the game to go. And I'm like, okay, you know, this this Tulane team, they're they're all right, they're all right, they're an okay team. You know, how good is Georgia? It's hard to say, you know, like they don't have any or any of their alums because the school didn't let them have them. They look really impressive. They have a great, you know, athletic defense. Their offense was clicking. Um, and, you know, I was kind of high on them coming into the tournament. I'm like, I think this team could make quarters and, you know, be competitive. Now, I absolutely did not see them making the final. But when the news came across the wire, Keith, from across the complex <laughs> that Tulane had upset Pitt, I immediately said, Wow, we have to upgrade the Southeast by like yeah. three notches, and Georgia's legitimately a title contender now. And there it was. They go all the way to the final, and they, they clearly look like the second best team at the tournament. You know, that, that I, I don't know if you heard, but that actually came up during their semifinal broadcast against Michigan. Uh, Ian Toner uh, brought up Charlie Eisenhut as the as the the first yes. member of the Ultimate Media Verse. To start touting Georgia, yes. so you you have been officially linked with Georgia as uh, as their their main train hype train conductor. Well, that's, that's what you. I like I mean, to hear, and I like Toner. I'm glad he listens to the pod and <laughs> is uh, pumping pumping my picks in the uh, in the ESPN broadcast. Out of out of the 173 beat Charlie Challenge entries. Four of them had Georgia going to the final. Going to so, the final. Well, credit to those people. I didn't. I didn't have the. I didn't have the cojones to to pick them all the way to the final. Keith, look, I I I got I got to eat the crow on this, and and I, I've said this even even during some of the broadcasts. I mean, I I was very wrong about Georgia. I was super skeptical. I thought that the lack of their getting to ha- play with their alumni was going to hamper them too much, and. It's double-edged. It's not only you have less experience and talent than the teams that you're going against. It's that they lost players who were major contributors the year before. It wasn't just like, oh, we can't have a couple of role players back. Like They were were missing like everybody who was one of their leading goal scorers and was one of their leading assisters aside from Caden Austin Knapp, basically. Like they were just so – I thought they were going to be so thin uh, that they were going to really have to rely on their top end when the, the depth of that team had kind of been their strength. Uh, but they really showed out, and they played with a very young team. Uh, I, I know that everyone's going to have their eyes on this Georgia team going into into the twenty twenty two spring, and you know it's hard to imagine that we're not going to be looking at UNC Georgia one and two in the power rankings. You know, maybe there's another team out there that that's going to get you hyped up about, but they're easily both going to be in the top three. I think. I mean, where do you even go after those two? Because 
I mean, obviously, the fact that Georgia played with no alums and did as well as they did, I mean, you have to think about them as a legitimate threat to win the championship in in May of 2022. Um, so the question is, and sure, obviously, UNC, you know, they're going to be a top three team for the foreseeable future. Uh, who Who is after that? I mean, I, I know I don't want to get ahead of ourselves and start talking about next season already, but just like who's number three? I got I got to look at I got to look at rosters to see who's back. I'm, I mean, it could be. I think you're going to be picking from mostly the teams that you're picking from now. Uh, you're going to be probably. talking about Brown. Uh, but Brown's going to get worse. They're losing a bunch of players, including. Yeah, but I mean, the the tide in general is going to lower. I mean, they're sure. still going to have Jock Mason and Leo Gordon. Uh, they're still going to be good. Uh, you'll be talking about Mama uh, still Colorado. Be good. You know, yeah. Danny Landisman's going to still be there. Yeah. Alan Learned looked really; he was really impressive to me uh, during the course of this tournament. So uh, we'll see. Uh, you know, there's some teams that we're missing. The, the, I know UMass didn't make it, but are, how hype are you going to get about Orion Cable? They're not going to be the top hype, three. But, but I just think, but the I think the Orion Cable hype is about to get fever pitch. Yeah, you know, what's going to happen to Washington? I don't know. Uh, Carlton, wow. so. Washington. Oof. Yeah, tough, tough, tough end for Washington. Tough. Man. Um, all right, so uh, we're going to have plenty of time to talk about UNC when the Yunks come on, so we're not going to you know, we're not gonna go too deep uh, on those teams. Um, Liam Searles' bows play of the tournament, Keith? The play, the play of or player of? A play of, play of. Yes, yes. Uh, that, was, uh, that was something else. Just that had me out of my seat. Mondo, layout, Callahan you know like that no one has any business getting uh, it was first break of the game incredible uh yeah it was that was a remarkable play he he told us that like he lined that up he just like was kind of baiting it and then he saw uh that the cutter was not going to the disc and he just went for it uh he was i i gotta say is he impressed me as a defender in a way that i hadn't necessarily anticipated i don't think he was like the most consistent we've ever seen him throughout the tournament but them being able to play him on defense was one of the ways I think UNC leveraged their their overall talent really effectively. So um, the corollary of Georgia being very impressive is Colorado underwhelming. They lose to Georgia in pool play. That means they have to face UNC in quarters, and they don't really come close in that game. Uh, but that was after they almost lost to Cal Poly and almost lost to Northeastern. It was 14-12 against Northeastern. So, you know, what, what happened here, Keith? And this is, this is, oh, Lotus, oh, Club Nationals, pre-quarters, wow, here they come. And it's not that they were a bad team. I mean, they lost to the finalists, right? So the two losses they took were to the finalists. So, you know, it, it, they could be arguably the third best team at the tournament. But still, you, nobody had them losing in pool play, I wouldn't think. I mean, maybe the the four people who picked Georgia to make the final in the Beach Charlie <laughs> Challenge got that right. But uh, what happened to Colorado? Let me. I'll, I, in fact, I'm going to bring up the the Beach Charlie Challenge. Let's see, Colorado to make quarterfinals, ninety seven point one percent of entrants. So there were two point nine percent of of entries. That's like roughly five entries that didn't pick Colorado to make quarters. So the, those are the people who can take the credit for that. But well, they still uh, made quarters. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I get what Those you're are, saying. I'm just using the doubters for thinking they won't be that the good. The doubters, yeah. I, I, I think that their defense was not that good uh, for the elite level, and you know, I think I, honestly, I think that may have been some personnel stuff. I think they may be stacked, overstacked the O line. 
with with top end talent, you know, maybe not enough crossover play. Don't know. Uh, and it, I think their depth just wasn't as good as we were anticipating. I think the top end of that team, you know, Quinn Finer, Alex Atkins, Daniel Linsman, like I mentioned, Alan Learned, I thought had had a pretty good tournament. Uh, Connor Tabor, like their top seven, I thought were pretty good, but they had trouble competing when I think you got deeper into the roster, and that mostly was affected on the D line. Yeah. Uh, I really didn't get a chance to watch a lot of Colorado because they got the early exit. Um, but it, it's, uh, it's surprising. It's still surprising. I think, you know, this is a team I'm really high on for the longer term. I think that, you know, the next two or three years, they could absolutely win a title. They have some of the most exciting, you know, sophomores and juniors on their roster right now. I've completely lost track by the way of what year people are, but who knows, uh, Players with eligibility for the next couple of seasons. Let's put it that way. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they weren't the only team to disappoint. How do you not look at what happened to Pittsburgh in the men's division and not be shocked? I mean, Keith, they missed a bracket. Pittsburgh missed a bracket. What's going on with that? I'm, I don't really know what to make of it. You know, I, I watched... I watched them play Tulane. That was the only full, like, beginning to first pull to last pull experience I got with Pitt. And they just did not look super interested. I was, it was very strange. Uh, excuse me. I, I didn't, I, uh, thought I'm, I'm saying that I watched them play Tulane. I watched them play NC State. Uh, is that right? They lost they, to Tulane. They played, they played Tulane, Brown, and NC State in pool play, and, and Illinois. Oh, they put Brown, Brown. I, I, sorry, I called games of NC State versus Tulane and Pitt versus Brown. Got so it. I'm like getting them all conflated. No, I called them versus Brown. They just looked disinterested. Uh, they didn't look like they cared that much when they were losing. They there wasn't a ton of intensity, mm. uh, which you usually get from Pitt. I mean, they're usually a really focused dialed-in team that looks really upset when they're not playing well. I mean, they hold themselves to a very high standard. Uh, I thought it was the weakest performance I've seen from Michael Ng in college. Like, like he had tuned out. Uh, it was really a lot more about Henry, uh, who played really well. Uh, like, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if just their heart wasn't in it or they were just kind of like, hey, we're just excited to be together. Uh, and let's let these guys prepare for spring 2022, which didn't the, – the rotations didn't line up with that. But something fell off. It just didn't feel like the the pit that we usually see. The talent seems there. I, I, I thought they certainly looked like a talented team, but just not a, not a strong mental performance from them. I was skeptical of this pit team coming in. Uh, I don't think I was skeptical enough to say they weren't going to make the bracket. But, yeah, uh, it's – you know, in retrospect, they had a very good pool. Um, That's true. You know, Tulane was better than maybe they were seeded. NC State, very good. Brown, one of the best teams at the tournament. So that's part of it. But, you know, they also lost not very close to those teams. 15-10 to Brown, 15-11 to NC State. You know, they, they were not in the hunt. Uh, it's, a, it's an odd one. It's an odd one. I, I honestly wonder if, like, the brain was too much looking ahead to next year. You know, we talked to Nick Kaczmarek here on the show a couple of weeks ago. And, uh, you know, like, clearly they're thinking about getting ready for this tournament. But they also have sort of this mentality, this sort of programmatic mentality of, like, preparation for the longer term development of the players. Um, 
I also think it's just fair to say, like, although they have a couple of very good top end players, I'm not sure that they're like three through seven are as good as some of the other teams at the tournament. That that might be the case. Uh, you know, I I still think highly of those players, but I I don't I didn't get the sense from watching them that they were being like super developmentally focused. Yeah, like I don't know. You know, they were playing their their vets a good amount. You know, I did see their freshmen, even though they have like at least one, if not two, U twenty tryouts. Like I barely saw those guys on the field, uh, which is I think what you would be doing if you're you're really developmentally focused would be putting those players in big roles. I mean, we've seen when Henry Ng joined as a freshman, he was getting all these reps guarding the best player on the other team, even when he wasn't really quite ready to do that. And we were so impressed with the forward thinkingness. Oh, let's, we, ha- we can afford this right now to build this sure. guy into our stopper. Uh, and then of course now he's on the O-line. So I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't really get it. <laughs> well, uh, you know, are you are you disappointed with Carlton women not making the final, despite the fact that they were missing a couple of their key players, of course? But you know, I think a lot of people expected them to to cruise into the final. Yeah, uh, of course I am. Uh, you know, I, obviously I'm, I'm mostly disappointed that we didn't get to see them as as a full team. But like, uh, it's it's hard not to say that they were they were disappointing. Uh, you know, uh, they had a real chance to win that game against Washington, and they gave it away. Just they were just too inefficient offensively. Uh, I think they may have gotten away with it in a couple other games in the tournament. I think the only real time that they got pushed was uh, in their pool play game against UC San Diego, uh, which is appropriate. But you know, this is a team that the rest of this squad is uh, deep and experienced and. They should be able to perform at a high level, you know, and, and yeah, they caught Washington when it felt like Washington was playing their best and that's problematic. But like we said, they had a chance to win that game. They were too inefficient with the disc, too, too many giveaways. Uh, and it was definitely a disappointing ending for this crop of, of Colorado's top players. Not Colorado, Carlton. Yeah. Uh, just a just an, a, a fascinating tournament overall, and you know, like I, I want to hear how did I do in the Beat Charlie Challenge because I picked the four top teams in the women's division to make it to semis, which they did. I also picked that in the men's division, and I only got two of four because Michigan Charlie. and Georgia made it. Now, shout out to Georgia because you know, I, I had belief in the team. But I had them losing to Colorado in pool play and therefore catching UNC, and that's too just too bad for them. Obviously, the fact that they upset Colorado opens up a much better path for them, and they took advantage of that. Um, so, how did I do in the Beat Charlie Challenge? You, you, you think that you did not do well? Is is what you told me before this? You're like, I, I probably did not. Before do the show, well. I did say that. This is your best Charlie Challenge. Wow. Uh, competition yet? Wow. Ninety seventh percentile. Wow. Uh, three people of the one hundred and seventy or so entrants beat you. That's amazing. Can we hear their names, so, please? Let's shout them out. Oh wow! You want you want to shout out our Beat Charlie Challenge winners? Uh, let me pull up pull up the the sheet. And, and right I'm, quick. I'm curious to know how they beat me. They they surely picked the winners because I picked the winners. And. Right. So did they have, you know, the correct the finalists? Because I only got two uh, or four finalists. 
So the three the three people beat who beat you. Uh, one of these names, I, some of these names I recognize. Uh, this person, I'm I'm ninety nine percent sure played for the Georgia men's team. Uh, David P. He uh, he gets a, a win. Pat Mackey? I'm sure for his allegiance to Georgia. Although he did not have them in the final, he did have he had them in the semifinals. Uh, that helped, and then he had North Carolina winning, and then the women's division. Uh, he had three semifinalists. And had North Carolina winning. Uh, all these people beat you by one point, by the way. Wow. Um, Dan H. Uh, also beat you. Surprisingly similar pick structure. But, yeah, three women semifinalists. North Carolina winning that over Carlton. And the men's division, uh, he had Michigan mm. in quarters. Uh, and a pretty solid group of quarters teams. Everybody but Georgia, pretty much. I think it, they had Colorado and or Texas instead of Georgia. No, Pittsburgh instead of Georgia. That's who it is. Um, and then uh, three – no, only two semifinalists. So, yeah, that's most of the difference. It helps also we, we included the D3 champion. So you get an extra point for that. So uh, yes. uh, they this person correctly picked the Middlebury team to win D3 women's. I guess uh, Ben Ben KM is the is the last person to uh, to also be you. Looking back at my picks, I, I picked a lot of quarterfinalists. You did. You got and, six, I think, in each division. And, maybe, and I think that helped me a lot. Even though I missed on a couple of the semis and finalist picks, um, you know, like I, I I probably got some that others didn't, like Cal Poly, um, and NC State, and. NC State made it in, made it in in quarters, right? Or am I missing? You got Georgia. No, no, NC State didn't make it. NC State did not. They lost in pre quarters. They lost to Michigan year. in pre quarters. That's right. But I had Michigan. I had Georgia. I had Cal Poly. I had Brown. Um. So okay, all right. Well, I, I'll take that. And credit to those. Did you say the third name? Yeah, Ben Ben KM. Ben KM. Ben KM. So shout out Dan H. Ben KM and uh, David P. Very well done. And uh, I thought I was going to make perfect picks this year, but I'll have to wait for next year, Keith. Yeah, you you were not that far off, but I mean, you look at how things broke down. It might have been tough to make uh, make perfect picks. Yeah, well, it, it, it's been an interesting one. And, and let's go back though. Like we have to rewind all the way to back to the very first round of the tournament for one of oh, the biggest yeah. pieces of news, which is that about twenty minutes into the game, uh, the start of the tournament, eight a.m. On Friday morning, news hits the wire. I think first tweeted by Evan Lepler that Carlton has withdrawn and forfeited their game, their first round game, because of a positive COVID test. And as USA Ultimate starts going through the contact tracing, it becomes clear that Carlton had spent time together the previous week all kind of staying together in one house. And so everybody on the team gets a rapid test and there's like six more positives and the close contacts, it, it just all goes, you know, to the point where it's like, there's not enough people to continue playing in the tournament and they have to withdraw from the event entirely. And that was just the start of COVID issues that were present throughout the tournament where you had the Truman State women's team, which made a deep run, but uh, may have been hurt by the fact that they lost some players to COVID. Maisie is, she is barking today. I mean, she is really, she's going for it today. I don't know what she's seeing out there, 
the post the postman coming a bunch with all the packages for Christmas, Keith. Yeah, my my wife is also not here to to like keep her quiet when, uh, <laughs> if she starts barking. No, it's 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 good. Um, so then more teams ended up having to withdraw after pool play and skip their consolation rounds. Um, there were other teams that you know. I, I would bet with extreme levels of confidence that there are a lot of teams dealing with COVID outbreaks following the event because Team Multiworld is dealing with a COVID outbreak following the event. We have, I think, currently seven positive cases amongst Team Multiworld staffers. Um, and wow, Maisie's just going crazy right now. Keith hit, had to hit the mute button. Um, Seven staffers with COVID. Now, thankfully, nobody, as far as I know, has had like any kind of severe illness to this point. And of course, we are wishing that everybody has a full recovery. Um, for some context, we had we required that everybody on our team be vaccinated and that everybody get a test within 48 hours of traveling to the event uh, that got a negative test. And that was everybody on the team had checked both of those boxes. And that was not enough to prevent a significant outbreak of what I can only assume is the Omicron variant, uh, given the fact that there are so many people who are vaccinated getting the disease, including some people who had boosters, you know, like a month ago. Um, so, uh, I, you know, I, I just have to imagine that teams are dealing with this as well, uh, just given the kind of like current state of things and... Uh, yeah, it's, it's been crazy. Um, I've tested negative twice. I'm waiting for a PCR test. Keith, I think I saw that you've also tested negative and maybe you're also waiting for a PCR test. That I'm, I'm still just waiting for my PCR results, although I have had no symptoms yet. Uh, but that is why my wife currently isn't here, uh, is, you know, I'm, I'm still waiting to get the clear, uh, but it's, it's unfortunate yeah. and it's certainly scary. And uh, the the nice thing, if if you want to have a silver lining here, is that the with the vaccination rates uh, among both our staff and in general at, at nationals, it, hopefully this is going to be short lived. You know that people are not going to need to be hospitalized with sickness. You know, and and potentially burden the resources of a system that's already probably being overtaxed. I know that. For our staff and for me personally, the like process right now for getting tested and trying to get a sense of where you're at is is madness. <laughs> uh, their rapid tests are impossible to find. Appointments for uh, more advanced lab tests are hard to get. Uh, lines at testing centers are really long. Uh, I know that you know there, there's been some talk about addressing that from the federal government. Uh, not a lot of details on how they're going to do that, but. Uh, they do say that there's something that they're going to address. So hopefully that that situation improves. But uh, I think the hope right now is that we're just kind of going to burn through it and people are going to be able to get on the other side fairly quickly because they're they're vaccinated. But I, I'm you're right about teams. I mean, I think I've heard from heard about probably 10 to 12 different teams that have had positive cases. Uh, and that's just the ones that I've heard about secondhand. So it's it's probably pretty well spread across the tournament yeah i mean do you have any do you second guess having the tournament 
with the benefit of hindsight? Uh, yeah, probably. I mean, I don't think that – I don't think at the time that, you know, everybody was making their final plans that we knew how transmissible Omicron could be or that, you know, we would have so many folks who are already vaccinated and even boosted in some cases uh, potentially exposed to that risk. Uh, but I do think it was a misjudgment to underestimate the risk we would be taking on by going to an event where, you know, being outside competing, we've talked many times on the show, like that feels pretty safe, but all the travel, the airports, the restaurants, the hotel rooms, the car rides, and then, you know, the, the, the stands at the fields, the, the bar, there's like a, a was a, like a, bar restaurant structure at the field site, which like was awesome, the inside of tents, like all of these places are potential areas of, of risk that we probably just didn't mitigate enough. And, uh, that stinks. And like, you know, if I, if I could go back, like would I say that this event is unsafe, like potentially. Yeah. I mean, in some ways, just you, you could target this as a super spreader event. Like we're literally, bringing together a bunch of people from across the country and then sending them back with COVID. <laughs> it's not great. I, I think the, the counterpoint that I would make is that once you're vaccinated, like at, at what point do we say we can start doing stuff again? You know, especially when we're dealing with a variant that is being so far from what we've seen, you know, the data showing that it's not as dangerous to human health as past variants of COVID. Um, I, I think, you know, looking back at the way that sort of we approached it as Ulti World, I, was, I would probably make some changes about just like trying to inc even further mitigate the risk of, you know, having people in indoor enclosed spaces together. Um, but, it, you know, it, it's difficult to completely eliminate that stuff uh, without significantly larger budgets that allows everybody to have their own vehicle and things like that. Right. So, um, you know, for, for a college team, it's, it's unrealistic. I think also things are just changing so fast. Yeah. You know, you go back two weeks and we just are first hearing about Omicron. You go back a month and it's like, you know, who's even like, if you're vaccinated, you're like not even worried about going out to dinner and stuff. So I, I it's, it's startling to see the level of spread that seemed to happen at the event. But I also think that this is going to be the kind of thing that everybody's going to be dealing with in their local communities because we just have this extremely, extremely contagious version of the, of, of COVID going around right now. So, um, obviously just hoping that everybody makes a full recovery, no, no lingering long COVID issues yeah. or anything like that. And obviously, you know, hospitalizations or, uh, anything severe. So it, it was, it was part of the story of the tournament though. That's for sure. It was. And, and for it to happen in round one, to like put everyone on notice right away, to put the that kind of cloud in everyone's head, uh, you know, it was a, certainly a startling experience. You know, we, we were just getting started. I remember we were in the middle of the first broadcast and you're, I think it was you who came in my ear. I was like, hey, we need to report that there, you know, that Carlton's forfeited because of COVID positive tests. And it's like, wow, we, we are half hour into this thing. Like how much worse is it going to get? And it, it did get worse, although not as dramatically as it maybe could have. You know, you wonder what would have happened if everybody had to take tests. Yeah. Or if, you know, if we had more teams forfeit, like 
your te- your tournament can kind of bear a single team dropping out. Like you, you there's some Especially flexibility, early. but that that falls apart apart very quickly if it's five teams, and if or if it's a semifinalist, teams, or two teams in the same pool, or a semifinal. Yeah, like it 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 gets messy very quickly. So it, things things could have certainly gone differently. Uh, you know, I, I I'm not saying that we can't do things. You know, we could still go outside and. Uh, you know, go to work probably and and do stuff like that. But the different there's there's a pretty far bar between not doing anything and traveling across the country to all hang out with hundreds fair, of people. <laughs> fair point. Fair point. Um, last little note, j- just to before we talk with the the Ukes siblings. Um, how about Abby Hecko, Keith? I mean, I mentioned her earlier, but uh, a real star turn for her. You know, she came in as this highly lauded freshman a couple years ago. Was was a solid player immediately, right away. You know, was the clearly like the number one five star recruit coming out of high school. Uh, won the high school national invite, and then you know we have this year away, and we come back. She comes off of a really nice season with mixtape and just absolutely dominates. Uh, really impressive for this Washington team. Uh, thoughts on her play and and the fact that she got hurt in the final. I mean, this was the biggest individual, I think, star turn on – this was the thing that everybody was talking about on social media. Everybody's tweeting about Abby Hecko, especially after her performance in the semifinal. But, I mean, it started before that. If you caught our stream of her game against Colorado, I think she scored the first four goals of the game or something like that and was just completely dominant. So, you know, in some ways it almost stinks because it's like, man, we could have had – Four years of this, of watching this player grow, four maybe even five, watch this player grow and develop, and we're, we're going to miss out on some of that time. You know, uh, you 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 feel for players whose development paths were disrupted like that. Uh, but wow, I mean, just a, a awesome star turn. It's great to see that kind of player get this recognition for people to be so excited about an individual player, for people to become fans of that player. Uh, I think that that is a a good thing for the sport. Uh, you know, it's unfortunate what happened with the with the injury uh, in the final. Uh, I know that uh, during the semifinal, I believe she actually got sent for a check for a concussion. So it was something that was on the radar, which makes it pretty scary to see a head injury send her out uh, in the final. Uh, I hope that she is doing okay. She looked like she was in a lot of discomfort uh, at that final. And there, there's a lot of conversation about that call, uh, about that, you know, should there have been a yellow card? There was a blue card assessed on the play. You know, what's the responsibility of the defender and the offensive player and then the the observer in that situation? Have, have you had a chance to kind of see the play and, and hear what people's thoughts have been on it? I've seen the play, and we'll okay. show the play here. on. If you're watching on YouTube, we'll put the play right here so you can see it. Um, look, I, I just don't think – I don't understand. People like to like figure out some sort of like crazy logical way to be like, well, the offensive player changed direction and the defensive player was on their line and blah, 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 blah. No way. This is a yellow card. It's you're bordering on a straight red ejection here. You're bordering on it. I don't think if I'm the observer there, I give a straight red, not in the final, not for a play where there clearly wasn't intention, right? To give a red card, you either have to do something so egregiously dangerous that you have to be thrown out or you have to be like trying to injure somebody. That clearly wasn't happening here. But this is just a bad play by the defender who comes in, 
and just barrels into the back of Abby Hecko. And for people who are saying, well, Abby Hecko changed direction into the lane of the defender, the defender's responsibility is to avoid contact. They are further back in this play. They have the view of the disc. It's absolutely ridiculous to say that somehow the defender has the right to the space when they go square into the back of Abby Hecko there. I don't understand why this is just a blue, but I will say this. I will say this. I was on the other side. I was in the other end zone when I saw this happen in real time uh and it looked like a bad play but it didn't it looked way worse on video from the reverse angle so the observer who made the call may have just had a slightly different angle where it didn't look as bad um you know i was far enough away at the back of the end zone that i i can't say that i had a particularly great perspective but like watching it back on video this is an easy yellow i don't see how you just call this a blue to me this just raises the continued questions about what does it even mean to get a blue card in this game like <laughs> it's a ridiculous thing like with team misconduct foul how is that a team misconduct foul this is an individual player making a bad play through the back of the offensive player that's creating a ton of contact that was so severe that it literally knocked the player out of the game if that's not a yellow card, I don't understand what it is that we're doing out here with this card system. So I, I, I once again implore USA Ultimate and the observers, you need to come out with a series of videos that explains this is a blue card and here is why, this is a yellow card and this is why, and explain very clearly with videos what it is that deserves to get a yellow card because they certainly don't seem to come up very often. And when they do come up, it's for stupid stuff like somebody spikes the disc too hard. I mean, come on, man. Come on, man. It frustrates the hell out of me. And, you know, look, I, I, I don't think there was any ill will or bad intention here uh, on the part of the UNC player. But I, I, I do think that it's a yellow and, a, and an easy one at that. Lepler said on the broadcast, I, I've been trying to go back through the broadcast since I, I wasn't able to watch them at the tournament uh, in full. In, in like a real sense. So I've been going back through and I was watching the Michigan, Georgia men's uh, semifinal. And there's a uh, play in there that injures a Georgia player, Michigan player bids kind of like into the tip waist area. And so obviously that's a potential injury to someone's knees, ankles. I think then the Georgia player in trying to dodge that person as they land, both rolled his ankle and stepped on the Michigan player's hand. So both players are injured on the play. <laughs> Uh, and you know, there's discussion about the cards and Leveler just outright says, he's like, I really don't think I know the difference between a blue and a yellow card. And that's because they're not applied in a way that makes it clear which one is for what, uh, the first yellow is, is literally a warning. It, it like says it in the definition of the yellow, which makes me think that this is a situation you use it. You're not banning the player from the game. Like you're not going to have some outsized impact on the outcome of the game with your first yellow card. So if your fear is, oh, I think that this player just made a mistake and I don't want to have some, you know, outsized impact on this, this, the outcome of this game. Don't want to interject myself here. I, I can understand that fear, but the first yellow card doesn't do that. It's a warning and that it seems like it should be used as a warning in this situation. Uh, just, I'm a little less cut and dry than, than Charlie on, on the play. I think that, you know, taking the, the time to think about, okay, if I were in the defender's position, what should I have done differently? I think the, the this play happened very fast. I mean, this was a bang bang moment, and so it is the defender. It is ultimately the defender's responsibility to play safely, and they got to the spot last, and that means that they had the most time to correct their course, to make a different judgment. They misjudged the play. They committed their body into going to the space way too early, and so 
They made a commitment to that space, and then Hecko changes direction, and Hecko gets there first because they were closer because she was closer to the disc. So the defender misjudged and mistimed their their commitment, their physical commitment to that space, and I think that's what the source of the the danger is here. And that should not be that should be something that they are taught and other players are taught not to do. And I don't you do think, that with the cards. I don't think anybody in this in this situation, including the defender, is going to dispute that they made a poor play here. Yeah, I, I, and that's why I think it's an easy yellow card. I, I don't understand. You know, there, there's way too much of a stigma associated with yellow cards. To me, we need to move to a system that's more like I don't know that National Basketball Association. You have a blue card, sure. Those are technical fouls. Uh, you rush a field too early. You, um, you know, you 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 scream an obscenity at the other team. Uh, you know, you talk trash to the observer. Right? Hit them with a blue card, yes. But physical fouls that go beyond a normal foul should be a yellow card every time. Like we have common foul and we have flagrant slash yellow card in soccer slash yellow card in ultimate, whatever you want to call it, like. I would like to see those be penalized more immediately than after two of them, but <laughs> I can I can understand the general sort of idea in the rules that no one is intending to cause harm or whatever. Uh, but you know, I, I think people look at this play and they fairly say to themselves, "Why is it that there's no punishment for a bad play by the defense, causing the star player on the offense to get knocked out of the game with a concussion, and that's that that's the end of it." Uh, you know, for whatever it's worth, the, this the, this play wasn't going to turn the tide of this game. Like, UNC was winning this game by a lot, no matter what. Uh, but I, I do think that this really clarifies and will clarify for more people that there are issues with the way that the card system works in Ultimate and the way that the just generally the punishment system works. Uh, you so rarely even see penalties applied to teams in games. And typically, those penalties come for things like going off sides or, you know, rushing the field too quickly or saying this is our fucking lives here than <laughs> for actually bad physical plays on the field. And that doesn't make any sense. I think I think we're getting better about adjudicating bad bids and about making them less frequently. But it's been that glacially slow, right? When it should be pretty aggressive change. All right. Let's take a break. We are going to talk with Ella Yunkst and Anders Yunkst coming up next right here on Deep Look. Don't go anywhere. Joining us now from the University of National Champions, as it's been dubbed, uh, are the dynamic duo, sibling duo of Ella Yunkst and Anders Yunkst, of course, of the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. Welcome to you both. How are you? Doing great. Doing, Thanks, Charlie. Thanks for yeah, having us. Doing great. Thank you for having us on. <laughs> of course. Congratulations on uh, your, your both undefeated weekends at the college championships, taking down titles in Norco, California. Uh you know, this has been quite the year for the state of North Carolina overall. But, uh, you know, just first and foremost, UNC's had a ton of success, particularly on the men's side. Ella, what does it mean for Pleiades to get back to the top and win uh, another gold? I mean, yeah, it's hard to put into words. It really, like, means everything for this program. 
um, not just for the current team, but for all the alumni that have given so much and given so much love, commitment, time, energy to this team um, to finally reach this goal. It, yeah, it just feels amazing. Now, now Anders has, has been there before a little bit. He's you know, gotten, a, gotten a couple titles under his belts. Were you, you know, asking him for advice or was, even was he asking you for advice? Like, what, What's the relationship like when you both are trying to succeed in, in similar fashions, Ella? Mm, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I think for me personally, and I'm sure Anders would say the same, like we both look up to each other a lot. And like I watched him for all of high school play on like this big college stage and somewhat inspired my like choice to want to be a part of this like UNC ultimate community. So yeah, I think I've drawn a lot on his past experience um, and knowing how much he gives on the field and, and every moment that he's like playing with dark side. And yeah, so it's just been great to like get to experience that myself. And yeah. Anders, how does this championship rate compared to your others? I mean, it's it's undeniably weird to be playing in December for a title. And, you know, it's like nice during the day and then it gets cold at night. I mean, it's just a whole uh, a weird scene. Uh, but, you know, it's still this is like the final hurrah for so many of the players on dark side. Uh, what what is how did this one, you know, rank for you? Yeah, I think uh, the first thing that I felt was um, so few college ultimate players get to go out on a win. Um, so it was really awesome to for to feel that personally, and for all the other sixth and seventh years and guys who that was their last game with Darkside on the roster. Um, and but in terms of what the wins felt like, you know, I I thought that this might have been the most dominant team I've ever been on at the club or college level um you know and the, it, we somewhat pale in comparison to Pleiades dominance but uh it, it felt you know we broke to win every game in the bracket and um you know only got broken twice in a row a, a single time uh on the weekend and and just I think had a, a really great performance from everyone um so you know, no asterisks, no question marks. Like it, it, we went there to to win, and we did. Um, so it felt great. You you mentioned that uh, you know the the team had it was one of the most successful that you've been on, and you've already got a club and AUDL title to your name this year. There was a lot of talk about this sort of triple peak that you were going through. How did, how did those successes in those seasons influence and compare to what you just had in, in Norco? Yeah, I think at the beginning of the summer, uh, when we, we first put the Flyers roster together, I was looking at the roster, looking at the other teams, thinking about it and said like said to myself, like, wow, like we really have a realistic chance to win all three this fall. Um, and I think like just with three champions, three championships on the horizon over the course of the summer, it was like really easy to push myself, especially given that like there wasn't a, a ton of stuff going on, you know, like Frisbee was my, the main thing I did over the summer. And, um, and I think that's like kind of how that core of guys who was across all three of those teams, you know, Elijah, Siraj, McKnight, uh, AD and I like kind of, and, and Gooch, if you count him as a coach, right. 
uh, felt about the season was that, yeah, it was a little longer than usual and, and trying to triple peak was hard, but there were so many opportunities for growth and, and excellence to put back to back to back that, um, by, you know, by the time I was warming up, warming up for my third final of the year, I was not stressed at all. Um, and I think, if, and maybe that presents itself a little more on Elijah who, you know, is normally not stressed, but he was, he was looking real loose for the, for the whole warm up to the final. And like, we all just smiling, having a good time, like no pressure, like, um, so yeah, it, it was fun and, and definitely stringing them all together was challenging in some ways, but, uh, especially like physically, but, um, in terms of getting into that competitive mindset, uh, having them all so close together actually, I think helped. Think of, think of all the social media clout you could have picked up if you had just said, Way back when you were thinking, oh, we oh, yeah. win all three. If you just put that on on social media, <laughs> yeah, well, maybe right? that wouldn't have happened. Got a lot of pushback. Yeah, yeah, I think maybe that would have jinxed it, maybe or something. You know, <laughs> I'd rather do it by surprise. <laughs> so this is the first time since 1990 that the same school has won the championship in both divisions. Uh, you know, 1990 may as well be you know, the 1970s, when you think about like where college ultimate has progressed to, I mean, it just does not happen. And yet here it is happening. Um, and you know, you can say the caveats, the asterisks, whatever it's the fifth years, uh, some teams didn't have them, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, I think if, when you really look at it, I mean, these, both your teams were so clearly the best team in the field. It was so dominant that it really wasn't all that close in any of the games that you played. Um, so Ella, why why is it that UNC has been able to get to this point and deliver titles in both college divisions? You know, something we haven't seen in, in over uh, what is it, thirty years? Just about yeah, over thirty years. Yeah, I mean, I think it speaks a lot to the youth scene in North Carolina, which everyone talks about a lot. I think it also speaks to the culture that Pleiades and Darkside have, um, and on both teams and like as a community as a whole, um, we are very close. We like play a lot of mixed mini. I think that helped us a lot. A lot of times when we would score in like kind of like a small ball way, we would chant threes after we scored because we knew that all those reps of getting threes with uh, the guys really helped us with that. Um, and I think we just have a culture of like wanting to get better, better as individuals to help the team. You, you have this situation where I feel like, folks kind of associate y'all with the growth of North Carolina youth ultimate, you know, you're with a lot of players who were in your classes that uh, grew up in the North Carolina homegrown environment. And you spent your whole college careers playing for UNC and on UN and North Carolina club team. So you're very much associated with that. However, you both actually came from DC. So from your experience, you're having played youth ultimate in DC and now having seen this, what you're seeing in North Carolina, uh, do you think that it's something that is going to be replicated in other cities or do you think that there's something unique uh, to the North Carolina area? Uh, Ella, what, what do you think about that? Yeah. I mean, I have a lot of love for the DC ultimate scene. Like I wouldn't be where I am without my high school teammates. Um, and so, yeah. And my club teammates when I played in high school, when I played club there, so nothing but love for DC ultimate. And I would love to see like other areas, like kind of, um, be able to take that step like the triangle has. I think it's definitely possible. And um, DC has been on the rise for a while. So yeah, I have nothing but faith. 
Yeah, I think to add on to that, um, you know, one thing comparing and contrasting the two areas, uh, you know, a nice thing that North Carolina has is a centrally located, uh, really good state school. Um, that is UNC and then also NC State where um, youth kids, people who play, kids who play youth will then go to those schools, play, get better, and then go back and coach their high school team or coach other youth in the area, uh, which then, you know, creates a positive feedback loop of increasing the pipeline. And in the DC area, you don't really have that. Um, and I think like the Virginia schools in particular, like that's one thing that was in my mind when looking at colleges is that like just the, they're more regionally distributed, there's less good coaching. Um, and like, there isn't that sort of, you know, there's no, you, you have UVA, but it's not quite the same as UNC in terms of like kids going from the area to that school. Um, and then that school having a good coach that then creates more good players. So I think like that change may happen at some point if, uh, you know, someone decides to invest lots of time and energy in a similar way that Mike D has, uh, into like a college program and then gets all those, their players to coach youth. Charlie, before, before you jump in, uh, Ella, I, I, this Anders brings up something that, that I want to ask about actually, you had, you had a Twitter thread where, uh, you know, you emotionally talked about your experience and how grateful you are. Uh, and one of the things you, you thanked your parents for letting you follow your heart to come to UNC. Was it, was there another sc other schools that you were like near going to? Is there an alternate universe where Ella Young's is at the front cone scoring a bunch for somebody else? Yeah, that's a funny question. Um, I made my decision, my college decision on April 30th at 6 PM, pretty much the last possible second that I could decide because I couldn't decide. Um, I was like extremely torn between, um, uh, the other school was UVA. Um, I was also considering Tufts, but it was mostly UVA UNC for me. And yeah, I mean, it honestly came down to like, I had to pick one and I went with UNC. So, <laughs> I mean, wow. yeah, they're honestly very similar schools. I think I would have been very happy at either. Um, so I'm just grateful that my parents supported me in that moment. And yeah, they were, they, they honestly like helped me just like be confident in my choice. Um, even when I wasn't so. So, you know, let's talk a little bit about the, the finals and some of the, you know, on field play. I, yeah, the finals are pretty different. Uh, you know, the women's final was over in about five points in my <laughs> mind, maybe, maybe fewer, like it was very clearly going to go UNC's way after, you know, one or two missteps, drops, you know, same half turnovers, uh, you know, for Washington. And on the other side, Georgia in the men's game came out and actually looked quite good at the start of the game and stayed competitive um, until, you know, kind of a break run in the second half opened up the, you know, the, the floodgates a little bit. Um, Anders, were, you know, were you nervous at all early in that game? Because you hadn't really been pushed super hard by anybody else at the tournament. And Georgia comes out and looks pretty sharp at the start of that game. Yeah, I think, um, you know, it, definitely the team was nervous and, and there was there was a little bit of nervous energy kind of just surrounding everyone. Uh, personally, you know, I think I played a bunch of games where we come out and it's close early with the other team, maybe even breaks first in the case of the final. Um, and eventually, you know, our depth and our legs, like the other teams, O-line tires out before ours. 
our depth pays off and uh, we pull away in the second half, which is what happened. So um, I think if you listen to Gucci's halftime interview, you know, he was about as unconcerned as I was. Um, You know, we also had some uncharacteristic turnovers and I think Georgia's defense um, to their credit did a better job applying pressure than uh, pretty much any other team. Uh, Maybe you could compare Texas if if, uh, in our pool play game. Um, but, you know, they really stifled our D-line offense. Um, and then a couple of decision errors and a couple of mis-executions. And, you know, we're up only up one at half. Um, I will say, you know, if you tally up all the break chances, uh, of which we worked it all the way down and then turned it over, there were maybe two or three of those in there. Um, so I, I, I was... I believed we would regress to the mean, um, which we did. Um, so I wasn't super stressed, but you could definitely f- see uh, and feel the nervous energy kind of, I think, coming out of everyone. Now, in that in that final, uh, your teammate, Alex Davis, put in put in quite an impressive performance. I think when I talked to him after the game, he, he gave himself just a B plus uh, for his like four <laughs> goals and, and two assists or something like that. Yeah. Uh, but you know, how much of a difference do you feel like he made in that final uh, in, especially with the O-line having a couple struggles? Oh yeah. I mean, AD, I think, uh, you could definitely argue AD is the MVP of the final and maybe the MVP of our team. Um, just the fact that he is so unguardable. And I think a lot of people paint him as a, you know, uh, toner always calls him the speedster, uh, and, uh, you know, he's painted as just a speed guy, but in reality, he is really smart, a great thrower, um, and like knows how to work in small and big space. Um, which I think when you pair the two of us up together, it's like what, how our team's going to match up with that. Um, and, and then, you know, uh, he really enables all the distributors to like with, with big margin for error, right? You can throw it high, he'll catch it. You can throw it too far in front, he'll catch it. Um, so, you know, uh, he's amazing. That's, that's all I got really. I think maybe, and like the, he mentioned this earlier, maybe before the tournament or in a mid tournament interview, but like people didn't see peak AD right before he tore his ACL that fall of 2019, um, when he was playing offense and, uh, and I think really hit his stride as, as an O-line cutter, um, you know, after the 2018 title run and the 2019 run where he was kind of, you know, in the background. Um, and then he played D all year and the ADL and club and did great there as well. But, um, you know, when you got someone as fast as him, it probably only makes sense to have him on the O-line. I remember have, watching have you raced? at CCC 2019 Yeah, on the offense and he was looking like one of the best players at the tournament there. So no surprise to see him come out and, and you know, be a, a huge difference maker for the O-line this year. Uh, Ella, you know, we're in the midst of our conversations about player of the year. And, you know, it's in a lot of ways, it's player of nationals uh, more than, than player of the year for, for this particular year. Um, and, you know, the, there's, there's some questions already about who is the best player on UNC. Uh, you have multiple players who you could really look at as, you know, kind of the, the best player on the team. And you look at the stats. I don't know that it necessarily clarifies things. The names that really rise to the top, and I'm curious to hear your take on on these two players, and maybe if it's somebody else, uh, are Don Colton and um, I want to say Alex Barnett, but that's not it. Uh, Bridget Meisner. Bridget Meisner. Bridget Meisner. And so the question is, who do you think 
uh, deserves to be at the top of the the Pody list for UNC, uh, they'll probably be going up against you know Abby Hecko of Washington or others. Um, so what what's your take? <laughs> I mean, you can't ask me to pick between two of my <laughs> teammates who I look up to so much. Like, I don't know. I honestly can't answer that question because um, they're both so amazing in their own ways. I honestly think they have different strengths. Um, Dawn is obviously like a defensive master. Like she is the best defender. I don't know. She's the best defender in college. She was up there in club. Like she's incredible. She makes our lives hard at at practice. She works so incredibly hard. I think that's one of the, like the, like maybe least well-known things about her is how her work ethic is unmatched. Like she, we will always have workout competitions. She wins every single one. She is always doing whatever she can to put her team in the best place um, to win. So, yeah, I have nothing but good things to say about Dawn. And um, she would be, of course, totally deserving of that um, award. Bridget is also incredible. I mean, like, I love playing with Bridget. And <laughs> I'm going to be really sad to not get to do that in the spring on our O-line. But um, Bridget is incredibly smart. Um, her throws, I think, are extremely underrated. Um, she's unguardable in the end zone like she's just gonna score if she's cutting like I just she will she'll get open um and yeah she's just she wasn't a captain this year but she was still an incredible leader for this team um and I I also think her like mental strength and her mental toughness is um maybe something else that's less well known about her but um I look up to her a lot for that so I can't pick but there you go (laughs) there's my thoughts (laughs) I, I don't think we've had things clarified Keith uh, he, you had to give it a shot, Charlie. You had to give it a shot. Uh, quick, quick one. Speaking, speaking of of player of the year, uh, is is there a chance that we're going to see Anne Worth in spring twenty two? Is she eligible to play? Is that on the table? Anne is eligible to play, and I think you can expect to see her. So, so, so <laughs> let get this. Y- y'all, y'all win the title in dominant fashion. Uh, you're losing some some pretty good players, but you're potentially bringing back Anne Worth. Adding Karen Earhart and adding my pal. Are you worried at all that it's just yeah? Is is the game going to be fun on easy mode? Are are you worried at all that that Pleiades is going to become the villains and people are going to have to start rooting against you? Um, I am preparing myself for that. Um, I think like yeah, it's like hard to want to root for the team that won in the last season. Like I get that. I would I would probably not root for us if I wasn't on this team. So. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm prepared for that. Um, but I'm just so excited to get a chance to, um, get another shot at a second championship. So I'm ready. <laughs> hey, and we're used to it. So if you need any tips, we got you. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is funny. I mean, you know, you kind of just reflecting on the success of the overall North Carolina ultimate community, you know, you can go through all the accolades and the titles this year. Um, is it, it, it for, for so long, for the state overall, there's been kind of this push to get to the top. Not quite there yet. Not quite there yet. Pushing, pushing. Now, obviously, the UNC men's team has won, you know, more than other programs over the last few years. But but even still, it's, you know, as you as you both know, it's it's never given in the college division. Um, now that so many of the programs have gotten there with really just uh, Phoenix needing to kind of like reach the top. 
is that a weird feeling at all to now have to be defending the throne? I mean, you're Anders, you just won, you know, everything this year. So you haven't really had that time to kind of be defending the titles. But now that you're here, like, is it weird? Because it's a different feeling, I would imagine, to go from, you know, we got to take out the pony, we got to take out, you know, whoever, versus like, now it's our belt, and the challengers are coming at us. Yeah, I think um, it, it's a bigger challenge um, to defend a title. It's, you know, it's, it's to go back to back is near impossible across almost any sport, um, especially team sports, you know. Um, so I, I think t- talking to various players across various teams, we're all excited. Um, you know, we get a shot at to see kind of where we stand at Worlds and that at Club Worlds and then um you know back to the adl playoffs back if we make it back to the club series like um it's definitely going to be a challenge but i think we're all ready for it and and frankly you know many people in the area have felt that we've been at the top for a long time and yeah we've gotten unlucky hadn't brought home all the rings but um, now that they all happen to rain in at once, I think we are ready and we're going to keep working hard and, and try and defend our championships. Yeah. And Anders kind of touched on this a little bit earlier, Ella, but uh, obviously it's, it's a lot of ultimate in a pretty short span of time, a lot of demand, especially, you know, coming out of a time when people may have not been in optimal shape, although, from everything I've heard uh, in North Carolina, y- y'all were managing to get out in pod workouts, and and that was potentially part of your advantage coming into this college season. But it was spring twenty twenty two, just a, a short time away. I mean, how are you dealing with the potential for the physical, mental, and emotional toils that come with playing year round at a high level? Yeah, that's a great question. I think like taking time now to rest um, and do what you need to do, not only rest physically, but I think rest mentally. I think honestly this fall was a really hard semester at UNC. um, And so I think ultimate practice was a great place for people to kind of like relieve that stress, but we also recognize that it can also add stress. So giving players time if they need it to stay home from practice one night um, or whatever they need. um, So recognizing that and then, yeah, honestly, for me, I personally, I'm ready to just get back out there. I also find that when I take a lot of time off, that tends to be when I get hurt coming back. So my goal is this year to kind of just like keep it steady um, and take the rest I need, but also like um, still be in shape and still be prepared for the th- fun things to come in the future. Should this tournament have an asterisk on it? I don't think I... so for the men's side. I'll, I'll take, I'll, I'll put that out there. Um, you know, I, I don't think that like, yeah, definitely. I think the level of play was higher because there was uh, not, we didn't just have six months to build into this, but most of the teams there, uh, most of the top teams that had, that were made up of primarily returners had two years to build. And, and uh, yeah, you could say that there's lots of missed opportunity from, you know, COVID and stuff. But but if you're sitting at home, that doesn't mean you can't get better at ultimate, right? And I think uh, many individuals across our teams got better by thinking about the game and like doing individual stuff during COVID. And uh, like uh, we saw that opportunity and jumped at it. Um, I think maybe on the women's side, there's maybe somewhat more of an argument because of uh, Carlton not being there. But 
it's hard to imagine that the two or sorry, the air Carlton being missing from the men's and, and the Earhart's missing from Carlton. It's hard to imagine that that either of those coming back make up the gaps between between us and the other finalists. Yeah, I would second everything that um you just said. I feel like at least from my perspective and I know Pleadie's perspective is like we were 100% treating this like any other college championship. That was our mentality going in, but I do recognize that that might not be how other people were treating it. Um so yeah, for us 100% no asterisk, but yeah. I do think also the alumni rules for some schools was unfortunate. I think like we would have loved if all of the alumni could have come back um, um, for every team. So I, yeah. we were very thankful that our players got to play and would have loved that for everyone. And um, we are sorry for the people that that couldn't be an option for. Yeah, and who knows, you know, some, some teams with what was it? 16, sixth and seventh years uh, lost in pool play. So uh uh you know it's not i always guaranteed i think that you bring back all your good players and you make the bracket <laughs> i i heard georgia after the uh final little chirping from the as they were walking off to their like final huddle underneath the tents talking about you know you guys can rent cars and you know <laughs> get, taking a little chip on their shoulder because they couldn't have any of their alums um which you know i, I thought was all in good fun uh yeah they look they, they like were, they're going to be a team that's pretty tough in six months at yeah. uh, Memorial Day championships. Yeah, I'd really like to shout out Georgia. Honestly, like not only were they fierce competitors, they won the Spirit Award. Um, and like in my experience playing them, it was a really fun game. They were all super nice, and and uh, yeah, they're going to be really good in the spring. Um, and I'm excited to watch them play and and see how we can you know we'll rebuild slightly but um i'm excited to see how we'll match up with them in the spring yeah and i'll add that the women's team is also right there like they were so impressive this past weekend um i don't think they made it out of pool play but they 100 percent should have and i'm i'm scared to see what they're going to bring in the spring because yeah like you said they were also playing without alums marie is insane so um i'm excited for yeah, that- a, pot- a potential matchup with them um to come so We'll see. That that was your closest game this weekend. Mm-hmm. Did yeah. did it feel like it? Yeah, I would definitely say that that was the game that felt like the closest, and it was. Um, they put on an amazing um, game. Like they're athletic, uh, they're fast, they got great throws. Um, yeah, it was it was a fun one. How how were you guys subbing in that game? Because you had already locked up the pool uh, with three wins already, right? Yeah, um, we were we were subbing to win. Um, I think we approached that game as like, well, one, I think it was great that we did that because I think our team being able to push through that moment and come out on top um, was really good for like our like uh, mental state going into bracket play, like knowing we could come back from being down um, and come out on top. So yeah, I think like um, we made a great choice by like winning that game and trying our best to win that game. Um, And I think it, it did help us down the line. I've seen I've seen you campaigning a little bit, Ella, for some of your teammates for some of the Ulti World Awards. Uh, Anders had a chance to to talk a little bit about some of his his opponents. Is there are there any individuals outside of the UNC program that you think you would stump for an award for? Is that to me? Is that that's for Ella? Okay. 
Okay. Oh, sorry. Although, Anders, you can you can after. Sorry, I thought that was for Anders. Um, so you asked anyone outside of UNC. Um, well, like I just said, I think Marie is amazing. Marie on Georgia, Marie Pervier. Um, she's a total baller. Like, yeah, it, it was hard to come up for with an answer for her. Um, I like she's got the throws. She's tall and can jump and athletic. And she was just doing so much for that team. So um, I think she's definitely deserving of some sort of accolade for what she did this weekend. Who stood what do you, you, what do you think, Anderson? Anybody, anybody for you? Um, not too many people who I don't think are already on the short list for awards. Um, I would say, oh, I'm trying to remember this guy's name. On Michigan, I think his last name was Gao. Um, he was pretty good. And as, it's weird because when Michigan played us, they didn't have Raymond, um, Raymond Liu, so, who's their Callahan nominee. I think and they were also sitting one other O-line cutter maybe. So we didn't really experience their, their full you know peak of their team. Um, but I, I was definitely impressed with uh, a bunch of their players who, despite you know not having their top guys and, and playing against what I think was frankly just a more talented team, like they played really well. And and uh, you know fifteen ten maybe makes that game seem a little farther apart than it actually was. Um, let's see. Uh, I thought Matt Armour on Texas played well. Um, but I mean, I'm sure he's a, a guy who, whose name is already floating around in the ultra world circles. How about, um, how about this? I mean, y- y'all sure. matched up with, um, Colorado earlier than expected, at least yeah. for me, I had Colorado making the final. And of course they got upset in pool play. Uh, you know, I, I actually don't remember Anders if ring ever crossed paths with Lotus, probably not because yeah, we did not really play the series. Um, but you know, were you surprised to see them maybe not be as good as as we thought they could be? Um, you know, fifteen ten, fairly comfortable win, all things considered. Uh, you know, what what did you see from Colorado? Um, you know, they they were talented, and and they were, I think they were about as good as we were expecting. Um, but then definitely by the second half, the close games that they had played earlier in the tournament were obviously taking their toll. Um, you know, AG and Atkins both just like it's it's hard to fight through that many close games. Um, and to credit to Cal Poly, you know, like they definitely they definitely made it easier for us by putting up such a strong fight against um, Colorado, even though they ended up losing. Um, I you know, originally uh, at Club Nationals, we were talking and, um, you know, me and some Darksiders and because uh, Lotus played Chain to Universe in pre-quarters and we were thinking like, wow, that's pretty impressive. You know, could we play Chain to Universe? And uh, I think that I don't I, I don't want to jump to any conclusions here, but I think that after this weekend, like I'm pro- pretty I would be pretty confident if we had, you know, taken the club circuit on with our full roster Um and it's you know apparent that how many big contributors on dark side were big contributors uh, to ring success um, and and you know like yeah Colorado brought their team to quarters but or pre, sorry pre quarters of club nationals but we brought our team to a national championship and obviously there are many more guys on ring who contributed but um, it was it, you know beating them fifteen ten felt like that's what the score should have been. 
you didn't get to see your you know number one seed that the team everybody was was expecting you to play Ella in Carlton uh, Washington knocking them off in the final uh, or in the semifinal excuse me but in in your final uh, Charlie mentioned this earlier you really took control uh, off the bat uh, you go up by a lot going into into the halftime uh, you know what do you think allowed your team to jump out to such a big lead over a talented team like Washington. Um. Yeah, I think a lot of factors, one being just our depth, um, which is maybe an obvious answer, but like, I think one, our O-line just played with such like poise and confidence um, and not just like, um, like the stars on our O-line, but the depth of our O-line, like Jess Wu and Caroline Spencer, like they really stepped up this weekend and I was so impressed with the way they like held themselves this weekend. Um so the, yeah, the cons- consistency of our O-line, but then of course also um, our defensive pressure and then our defensive off- offense on a turn. Um, like our D-line outscored our O-line, I think in, I know they did in the final and I think they may have also done so in the semi. Um, like it is just such an impressive group um, and they just brought pressure that I think was like unmatched in the division. Um, so I think all three of those factors really helped us kind of jump out, um, to a lead. And then also just like coming into the game, like feeling ready, knowing we were ready, waiting for so long for that moment. Um, and yeah, taking advantage of every second, um, of, of every second of the time that we were on the field on the sideline. Yeah. Whatever we could do to help our team succeed. You know, one thing that happened in that final uh, that people have been talking about is that uh, Abby Hecko got taken out of the game on a bid through her back um, and, uh, you know, got concussed, had to sit out the rest of the game. You know, obviously, she was, she was easily their most impressive player this weekend, got the big sky ball over uh, Dawn in the end zone for kind of the only highlight of the game, maybe for Washington. Um What's uh you know what what are your thoughts on that play? Uh, it got a blue card. Some people have been saying it should have gotten a yellow card. Uh, you know, obviously unfortunate contact to, to see another player have to go down like that. Yeah, um, I mean, no one wants to see anyone get hurt, and I know the player who made that that play like feels horrible about it and wishes she could take it back. Um, and I I know we all feel horrible for Abby, and like, like I said, no one no one wanted that. Um, so. Yeah, I know we all wish like that moment hadn't happened. Um, and I'm glad she's hopefully doing somewhat okay at the moment. Um, but yeah, um, Abby is a great player. And yeah, we were fully expecting her to come out making plays, which she did and um, would have obviously loved if she could have stayed in the game. Uh, one of the things that, that's been talked about now with both club championships and the college championships, you're both playing on these high-level teams, you're both putting up big numbers. Uh it's often like joked about, oh, the competition between the two. Is there actually competition? Like, are you both checking your stats? Are you texting each other, talking trash uh, when you're, you know, going into these big games and, and playing really well? Uh, Andrews, I'll, I'll kick that to you. Do, is there some competition between the two of you? Uh, never any active uh, trash talk, I would say. Um, I think that we both want each other to succeed. Um, and I think I can speak for Ella when I say that we our most our highest priority is our team's success. Uh, and so if I like score one goal or ten, it's you know either way it's all right. And I think Ella feels the same way. Um, 
So I, I would say minimal, if any, trash talk between statistical comparisons. Um, and, you know, Ellis got a few more national shots at college nationals to rack up some stats as well. So, um, you know, whereas, whereas I'm done. So uh, I, I'm, I'm sure her goal total on the career will end way higher than mine. Anders, are you going to join the 25-person uh, UNC coaching staff? I think you can expect to see me out there uh, in Memorial Day weekend, <laughs> if not earlier. Um, I definitely plan on going to nationals. I'm not sure how involved I'll be throughout the season, but um, TBD on that. All right. Well, thank you so much to both of you for, for coming on. And uh, big congratulations, of course, for the wins. And we hope you have a, a lovely holiday season. And we'll see you out there in some capacity, both of you, in the spring. That's right. Awesome. Thank you. Thank appreciate you so much it. for having it, having us on. Really appreciate it. Of course, Ella and Anders Yunkst with us here on Deep Look. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Deep Look. Great to catch up with the Yunksts and uh, Keith. I think time to settle in for some UNC dominance. I mean, they those teams could absolutely come back and sweep again in Memorial Day. Yuck, yuck. I mean, you heard the names that I said could come back for UNC. I mean, they may... They're comically good. Yeah, There's no I, one in their level. They may There's not no give up level. more than like five goals for the whole series. I mean, they're gonna they're literally adding Anworth and Karen Harley. It could be the two best players. They could have the three podi spots. Like, let's let's get crazy. Could could UNC oh take God. all three podi spots? I don't think we would allow it. I don't. I, I think we would step in. But man, uh, it's they they're gonna be stacked. And we and Charlie, you know, you said we caught up with the Yunks. We may be the first two people to ever catch up to the Yunks. <laughs> Oh my gosh. So fast, so good. Um I mean, ima- like imagine as a defense, you're trying you're go- going out there you're like, "All right, we got to line up with the UNC dark side offense." And it's like, "All right, well, we got to put our fastest player on Alex Davis." And oh wait, <laughs> Anders is also out there. Like what are you supposed to do about that? That's that's tough. That's uh, tough. I, so here's so here's a brief anecdote about AD. After after the final I'm I'm like you know milling around trying to set up interviews or whatever. Somebody somebody who I don't recognize just comes up to AD, starts chatting him up, and then they foot race. They they like set up a a forty yard race. AD wins the race. I'm like, who? I, I later I, I talked to AD and I'm like, who was that guy that you raced? He's like, oh I don't know. He's like, I think he works here at the facility, and uh, we were here for another tournament. And like uh, it came up, and so he came back, and I was like, "There are literally people around the country who know that you're fast and want to race you. Just like you show up in a, in a in some random city, and people just come up to race you, like like the facilities guy. Yeah, like that is something. Like you've got a reputation when just you go to random cities and people race you. Like I don't I don't know what to do with that, but it was it was a pretty amazing moment. And he won. He won. What's his forty time? I, I, I feel like I should know this off the top of my it's head. It's somewhere from that B ultimate uh, sprinting thing that they did, right? That that gave him the fastest forty. He's got to have an AUDL forty recorded too. Let's see if I can find it here. Uh, he did a four four six. That can't be right. Uh, I mean, that's now. Now we don't know how they were doing the timing. If they were doing hand timing or if they're doing laser timing, like there's comparing forty yard times is is challenging, but. 
four four six, regardless of how you turn <laughs> it, is elite. That's elite speed. It's elite speed. He would be fast on any field against anybody. Yeah, that's a fast time in college football. I I, I would be curious, like he endures like their shuttle times. You know, like because Durs I think is a little quicker is, is like quick more than fa- like they're both fast. But yeah, I don't think he's going to beat any of the fastest 40, person. The fastest person I ever played with was Hussein Carnegie, and he was also easily the quickest player on the team. And That's it wasn't fair. Close. That's fair. So I, 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 I get that. I just think that like if you've got the twitch muscles to make you really fast, you're probably also very, very skillful in agility motion. I mean, he so. was he was great. He, like 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 Andrew said in the interview. I mean, he was uh, he was he had a fantastic tournament. He did. He did. It, 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 excellent. It just stretch the defense. Like there's just so much pressure when you have someone that fast that you have to deal with because you you basically have to back them because if they get a step you're going to lose. Like it was funny watching UNC throw to him because you basically throw it as hard as you can without out going out the back. Because he's he's going to get to it. And it must be wonderful as a thrower. You're just like, "All right, I'm just going to max rip this one and AD's going to get to I it." I mean, he he gave that quote to one of our reporters about like, you know, I I uh, I, anybody can no, I don't think anybody can keep up with me. Like, uh, but you're you're welcome to try. Like, maybe you'll get in the shot. Like, maybe you'll be in maybe the frame you'll get with in me. The shot. And you know, people <laughs> were bringing that up later. They're like, "Hey, was anybody in the frame with you on that one?" Like, uh, yeah, he's he's a confident dude, uh, and I, I I know that I appreciate it. And I think that both UNC teams, uh, their best players are obviously really good, but I think that they won at like the seven to 10 slots. Like, I think that's where they really just were killing teams is, you know, people could try and match up with their top three or four players. Uh, but it both on both sides, it was just, you know, on the UNC women's team, they were able to put Grace Connerly on the D line and Don Colton on the D line and play Alex Barnett both ways. And like those players were better than the people that they had to match up against. And the people that right. they had to match against match up against had to be on the other team's O line. And they had to cross over a lot. And that was the same for the UNC men. You know, they don't have to tax LSB as much. Uh, they don't have to tax AD as much because they're deep. You know, that that, that was the big difference to me. Yeah, no, no question. Um, we're going to obviously talk more about college nationals, get some of the deeper stories. You know, we haven't even talked about some of the other teams that maybe made a run to quarters or got their season ended early in, in pool play. Um, and we'll get into that on our next shout show. out, shout out UVA and Tulane. Those are the two teams. I feel like I doubted that proved me wrong. Oh, and I, I was doubting UVA even during the tournament. Cause I, I watched them first round against SUNY Binghamton and I was not very impressed. And then they, they really picked up steam as the weekend went along. Yeah. They, they, they um, let me hear it. I got, I got, I caught the chirps. We also, we won our bet with, uh, with BU with, uh, the oh, BU we did. that's team. right. Boston university. So they coach is coming at us <laughs> and, uh, and they did not win a game. So he sent the he sent the uh, receipts and showed us photos of players on the team having subscribed. To so I, I hope so that they're listening. Shout out to y'all. Yeah, I hope they're listening. They made it this far. Uh, we we appreciate you. We do, we do, and we hope you remain listeners for the long term. <laughs> and you didn't just do it for the photo. Um, let's take a quick look. How did, so? Obviously, they lost all their games, but I think that they were like you know competitive with some teams. Like they were eleven eight against Michigan. 15-10 against Penn, but, you know, I think probably the worst team at the tournament, you know. 
I, uh, did Binghamton end up winning a game? Did they get a win? I talked to the I talked to the coach of uh, of BU and they were very excited about. He was very excited about uh 2022. That was focused. Binghamton, Binghamton did get a win. Got a dub against Michigan 10-9 in consolation. Last last minute. Look, I I I thought that they looked apart when they were there. Uh, and the thing that I didn't know about them was that the person who was like playing the best for them is a freshman. I'm gonna have to deal with this. For years, uh, you know, I think that a lot of their other players are grads and seniors. But Jolie Krebs, yeah, Jolie Krebs, she like has a legitimate shot at being on the roadie podium somewhere. I mean, she's the how many freshmen are like the best player on their team at nationals? That's rare to see, especially this year. There are not a lot tough, of freshmen. Man. They they played thirteen eleven in a loss to Colorado, twelve ten to Penn, uh, and got the win against Michigan. It's been a while since we've seen a Metro East women's team get a win at nationals. Well, it won't be. We're we're coming back, baby. <laughs> um, anyway, lots more to come on the rest of the tournament. Uh, we're going to take next week off for the holidays, but we'll be back the first week of January to continue our conversations about the college championships. Uh, and make sure you uh, check out our subscriber bonus segment this week. It's a really good one. Keith, tell us about it. Uh, so we're just going to talk about – I made a tweet. It's not uncommon for me to like compose some ideas uh, on the plane ride back from, from Nationals. Uh, and so I, I came up with a list of things. It's a li- the, the tweet titled list of things we should stop doing. Uh, and it seemed like a lot of people responded to it. So we're going to go through the list of things that we should stop doing going forward as an ultimate community. Okay. I love it. <laughs> So you can become a subscriber for less than $4 a month at ultiworld.com slash subscribe. Last thing before we sign it off, uh, we did some ambitious broadcasting this year at the college championships. In fact, for the D3 finals, when we were only doing one game per round, uh, we I, I, I can confidently say those were the best streams ever of D3 Ultimate. Uh, we had seven cameras on the game. Seven cameras filming the D3 finals and uh, did some like complicated stuff from a uh, broadcasting perspective uh, that was exciting and scary and hard. And, uh, but I think uh, it, it, you know, came through with just how many options we had camera wise. And I hope people enjoyed the broadcast. Keith, you know, you always get to kind of just come in and see what we've been working on and uh, you know, be, be the voice for the people. What were your thoughts on this year's broadcasts? Uh, I've I've gone on record. I said on Twitter, I, I think that this is the best work that we've ever done as a complete unit. Uh, you know, I think that it helps that we have uh, more experience with both the production. I, I just think in general, you know, the commentators are more experienced. The camera people are more experienced. The production team is more experienced. I, I think the drone integration was a smashing success. It added more to the broadcast than I had expected it to. Uh, so I, I thought that was a wonderful addition, uh, worth every penny. Uh, you know, I, I think that we had some great commentators. I think that there was a lot of great energy and it was, it was a fun production. And I think that that helps a lot. I, I say this about movies sometimes that like, you can, you can tell when the cast is having fun being in the movie. And like, I think that's true for our production. Like you can tell when we are enjoying doing the work that we're doing. So I, I think that came through. It was a grueling week. It was a really grueling week. 8 a.m. starts meant uh, 4 a.m. wake-ups for me, and we were at the fields at 5 a.m. in like the 30-degree temperatures. Um, but I, hopefully it came through and people enjoyed the broadcast. So of course, if you have any notes or thoughts on any elements of our coverage, 
please shoot me an email, charlie at oldtworld.com. Always looking for uh, constructive criticism. Um, I mean, even even just rants. If you just want to be a hater, I, that's fine. <laughs> You also can say nice things. You're allowed, you're allowed you to email us nice and say things. that you like stuff. You want more of the thing that you like. <laughs> All right. Well, that is going to do it. Uh, have a lovely holidays, everybody. Uh, we'll be back safe in two one. weeks. Safe. And safe. Yes. Yes. Get yourself some rapid tests. I, if you can. <laughs> Keith, you mentioned earlier it was like hard to get a test. Yes. Uh, I think I waited like three hours in line yesterday to get a PCR test. And it was so cold yesterday. Oh, my God. Um, but, uh, everyone in New York city has COVID right now. So that's just how you have to do it. You got to wait in line. There's no way around it. Yeah. I, I, my waiting experience was like two and a half hours. And then I got to leave. Like I, I, w- I waited in line to get Ugh. into a digital line and then I got Ugh. to leave. And the lady, the, the first person who called me said, you know, it's okay that you go somewhere else. Like, but the first person I talked to was like, you stay in the parking lot. And the second person called me is like, it's okay. You go somewhere else. I like literally live two minutes away from this testing center. And, uh, then when they call me on the phone to for, to come back in, yeah, I went home, but I lied and told them I went to a coffee shop. Uh, cause the first lady kind of put the scare in me and I was going to go back early. She was like, it'll be two hours. So I was like, okay, I'll just go back an hour early and I'll stay in the parking lot. But they called me early and the person was like, yeah, it, the person I talked to on the phone, but they're like, I'm going to have to move on to the next person. And I'm like, I'm going to be there in two minutes. Do not move on to the next person. Do not do it. Uh, so I was uh, – that had me stressed. Oh, no. That was a stressful moment. B- back to the back of the line. I, ooh, boy. You were caught me on the evening news, Charlie. That would have been something. <laughs> oh, my God. Although I felt really – I tried to be super nice to the staff because they were getting it. People I mean, were – Everybody's just up People were it right very, now. very frustrated. And uh, yeah. yeah, it was it was not a great scene. Yeah. Everyone's trying to get a test before they travel and stuff. Ugh, it's tough out there. And the Omicron, the Omicron, it's really con- it's really contagious. It really is. So um, stay safe. Have a happy <laughs> holidays wherever you spend it. And uh, we will talk to you in the new year. Looking forward to it. We're also going to do a year in review show very soon. So stay tuned for that. For Keith Rayner, I'm Charlie Eisenhood saying so long. And we'll talk to you in 2022 right here on Deep Look. <laughs>